Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, welcome, brothers and sisters, back in the saddle again. Uh, Welcome to Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. Uh, Just got back from a whirlwind tour in Northern Ireland. Got a little beat up towards the end, got pretty sick, but my family, my lovely bride and precious daughters are nursing me back to health so it's good to be home and uh, for today's episode I really want to cover three important topics Uh, one I want to follow up with our last podcast which was Halloween versus Reformation Day and that had an interesting response Uh, A little bit of a controversy, actually, and um, so I was challenged a little bit, and people brought in other things, and um, but anyway, I want to kind of go through that to give my concluding remarks uh, on Halloween versus Reformation Day, and then I want to share with you uh, a little bit about what's happening between Northern Ireland and my family and ministry. Uh, It appears... um, I'm being adopted uh, by that nation. Um, God's doing something. and It's very interesting, and I'll go through that a little later uh, in this episode. And I want to conclude with a very serious matter. Most of you are aware it's with uh, the I Stand with the Eleven campaign. And that's not just a slogan to me. Uh, these are precious brothers and sisters that I personally know that I've worked with, that fought many battles together. And uh, I want to share their plight and let you know what my personal commitment will be uh, to these 11 families and others that are also being rounded up by the FBI. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. So let's begin with our first topic, the Halloween episode. So the first, I guess, I won't say controversy, but I guess a challenge concerned the quote by Anton LaVey. He's the founder of the Church of Satan. So, you know, what I did when I was preparing for the Halloween broadcast, I went on a lot of uh, websites of former Satanists and how they view Halloween. And especially when it came to, you know, the darkness, the ghouls, the witches and vampires and you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and lo and behold, this, this quote came up time and time again. And this is the alleged quote by Ante, Ant, excuse me, Anton LaVey. And this is the actual quote. Now, it's alleged. <laughs> he said, I am glad that Christian parents let their children worship the devil 
at least one night out of the year. Welcome to Halloween. So some folks got on the post and said, hey, do you have the original source document for that? Um, and I was like, well, you know, I went to several websites and saw this quote over and over again. And then there was an actual person on that website that said they, they knew for sure that he hadn't made that quote in an interview. Unfortunately, uh, the person could not find that interview. So lo and behold, brothers and sisters, I don't know for sure. I can't say for, you know, exact knowledge that Anton LaVey made this quote. But in saying that, and you know, because, you know, I obviously I don't want to misquote people just to prove a point. That would not be Christian. That would not be honest. That would not be truthful. Um, but I am a man with a feet of clay. Sometimes I may not get my facts right. And I freely confess that. But I do want you all to consider this, though. Even if he did not say this, is it beyond the realm of possibility that since Satanists consider their Halloween their high day, uh, would they not be glad? Would they not rejoice that Christians celebrate Halloween? Um, you know, just a thought. Uh, I don't believe that's beyond the possibility uh, that Satan, Satanists uh, actually do uh, welcome <laughs> Christians to Halloween in that manner. So I'm going to put that controversy to rest. Again, I don't know for sure if he said it, uh, but again, you know, there is that possibility that Satanists do welcome Christians to worship the devil on Halloween. Uh, besides that, we had uh, some other people chime in and say, hey, you know, Halloween is a Christian holiday. And I thought, well, that's a novel idea based upon what? And so I kind of looked into that, and really what it's based on is the Catholic Church hijacking um, Sam Hain, which was the, the pagan practice, the, the Druid, from, you know, from the Druid religion um, that, you know, celebrated the harvest, you know, day and, and the full moon and, you know, did all kinds of weird demonic stuff, you know, honoring that time of, of the season. And so, you know, the Catholics came along and said, hey, we can possibly tap into that and kind of Christianize this pagan practice to get people from paganism into the Catholic Church. So they ended up calling it All Hallows' Eve, All Souls' Day, or All Saints' Day. You can kind of look that up and get a feel for that. But I did find this uh, on the Internet, which is kind of interesting to kind of share, you know, the difference between the pagan cultures and how they celebrated Halloween. And then, of course, the Catholics coming along and trying to Christianize it. And this is what it says. It says Halloween and Day of the Dead. And again, Day of the Dead. I mean, you know, just again, the ghouls, the, the demonic, the witches, and the occult, all that 
kind of combined in this thing. He says they're, they're both festivals that draw influence from Catholic and, and other cultures. He's talking about the Celtics, the Druids, things of that nature. Traditionally, ancient observers of these festivals believed that during the fall and after the harvest, the boundary between the living and the dead, now get this, was broken. And it was time to either commune with the dead, no, 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 or protect yourself from them. Now keep in mind, as I'm going through this, the God of the Bible forbids these pagan practices. We are not to look to the dead on the behalf of the living. We are to look to the Lord. We are to look to the law, to the testimony, to the word of God, to Christ, who is the light of the world. Well, eventually the Catholics moved in and they ended up uh, taking over that day and they named it All Souls Day. All Souls Day was to was the day to commemorate the dead. Now, I get that to a certain degree. You know, we have uh, in America Memorial Day where we memorialize those who have fallen in battle to defend our nation. I, I think that's, you know, that's proper. That's fitting. We should be a grateful nation to those who gave their last ounce of devotion to defend our nation. But it, it kind of goes a little bit beyond that. And you're going to find out because of the doctrine of purgatory. And so it says that it was a day to commemorate the dead. And soul cakes were given the children to pray for the dead. Now, I got to tell you, once somebody dies, their eternal fate is sealed. There's no do-overs. There's no reincarnation. Okay, the Bible says it's appointed unto men once the die, and then comes the judgment. And once that judgment is proclaimed, there's no reversal. Your fate is sealed forever. But you had these children, you know, who went to houses, and they were given cakes if the children committed to pray for the dead. Additionally, poor people would go from house to house to ask for food. Like trick or treat, right? Trick or treat in exchange for their prayers for the dead. Now, why is that? Because purgatory, the doctrine of purgatory, is strong in the Catholic Church. Well, then the question arises where do Catholics get their purgatory doctrine? Well, you'll find it. Excuse me. I love it when I get to drink and you don't. <laughs> but anyway, you'll find this doctrine in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. And what Catholics are famous to do is to take the, the biblical truth and sort of add their Catholic nuance and, and uh, interpretation that uh, ends up uh, misrepresenting God's word to people, and that is a very dangerous thing. So he, here we have Apostle Paul saying this, For no other foundation can anyone lay 
than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the firm foundation for all areas of life. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work, hold on to that word, work, will become clear. For the day, capital D, speaking of that great day of judgment, that day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. Hold on again to that word work. It's not person. It is work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, again, not person, which he has built on it indoors, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so here's the huge difference between biblical truth and Catholic dogma. It's not the person that's going to be thrown into the fire where he has to be purged for eons of time <coughs> to be fit, excuse me, <coughs> to be fit to make it to heaven. But what this does for the Catholic Church, this is a huge money-making operation. They have Catholics in fear for their loved ones. And so literally Catholics light candles, they pay a lot of money, they say prayers on the behalf of the dead, hoping that somehow God will intervene and get these Catholic believers out of purgatory and bring them to heaven. And so obviously, if, if Christians believe that Halloween is a holiday based upon that foundation, I would say that's sinking sand, and I would forego it completely. The other deal, and this was very interesting, some viewed Halloween that Christians should celebrate it in the sense of like spiritual warfare. Like it's okay to dress up on Halloween just to let the world know, hey, the devil has been defeated by Christ. And I thought, wow, what an interesting <laughs> take on spiritual warfare. But in studying uh, the medieval church and how they dealt with Satan and with the demonic realm, um, they did similar things. Uh, the whole artistic depiction of Satan, you know, this clownish freak, they, they, you know, he has, you know, horns on his head, a tail and a pitchfork. Um, they purposely did that uh, to humble his pride. They, they knew that he was intoxicated with himself. He, he was overwhelmed by his own beauty and, and things of this nature. So they purposely uh, depicted him as a freak, uh, as a freak of nature. And they would mock him uh, just to humble his pride. Now, is there any value in that biblically? Uh, I don't see it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I understand the sentiment behind it, but biblically we know what 
defeats the evil one, what casts out demons, what drives evil is uh, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. It is Christians unsheathing the sword of the spirit and declaring, thus saith the Lord. And of course, the precious power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, when he shows up, evil and evil spirits are driven away. And, um, and we are called to overcome uh, this evil one and with our Lord destroy the works of the devil, which are lies and murder. So in light of all these objections, in light of all these different challenges, in light of the different views, I still believe it is better, it is more God-honoring that born-again believers celebrate Reformation Day. And that's when Martin Luther banged the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg Door Church. And in some of the uh, other episodes or blogs, we, you can find resources that you can make October 31st a special day for your family. So I hope you avail yourself of that. Well, on to the next topic. Yes. So, Northern Ireland, what's going on? <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know, because I certainly didn't sign up for this. I didn't ask for this. I wasn't praying for this. Uh, but apparently, when I stepped down from being National Director of Operation Rescue, Operation Save America, God had other plans for my life. Now, I've always been uh, a gospel of a kingdom guy. I've been a great commission, you know, ministry. Uh, always believe that men and nations are to come uh, to the desire of all nations, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, but my burden for 40 years has been America. Now, I did go on short-term mission trips through the years, but I went. But what's happening now, brothers and sisters, and it's kind of strange to me because I've known so much rejection in, in America and amongst the American church, I, I'm starting to get invited to go to nations. And so that's kind of a, of a weird dilemma, I guess, for me, because I got rejection down. I mean, I know rejection. It's just acceptance that makes me a little funny. Like, but anyway, yeah, the doors are opening. And so for me, it's, it's a matter of obedience. Uh, it's not like I had this burning passion or desire to go to other nations, but the door opened, I saw it, and I just looked to the Lord, saluted him, and said, yes, sir, I'll obey. I'll do it. And so the way this all came about was I wrote a book, Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion would really want you to encourage you to get that book. Uh, if you don't no longer want to sit back and watch the church and the pro-life regulate baby murder, but you want to actually rise up to abolish it, to end the Holocaust, please get that book. I lay it out biblically, and it passes biblical muster, constitutional muster, and historical muster. And it would really, really help you seek the Lord uh, to 
you know, get on board on this movement uh, that, again, is no longer regulating baby murder, but actually ending it. So anyway, some of the brothers over there on Northern Ireland got a hold of the book. It really challenged them. It blessed them. It encouraged them. It inspired them. And so they contacted me and they asked if I would do a Zoom call meeting. Well, of course, I, I, sure, yeah, no problem. And um, But I thought, well, it'd probably be a couple of guys, you know, some leaders of the pro-life movement there, some maybe some pastors. And lo and behold, this was a pretty large Zoom meeting call. There was a lot of people on it, even people from other nations. So I definitely was not prepared for that. And so they just asked me to introduce myself did and after I introduced myself I said uh, I'm not quite sure I'm on why I'm on this zoom call with you but if I can help I'm your servant and so they um, they just started to ask very pointed and poignant questions on how to fight the battle to deliver their nation from the evil of abortion and, uh, and things of this nature. And I, I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit was there. He was present. He was so sweet. And, and it, his presence just went forth. And when they began to share with me their heart and why they were contacting me, I, I just was instantly knit in my soul to these people because their desire was God, we want you to send another heaven-sent revival that will inspire and equip the church to rise up to abolish abortion and deliver our land from this evil. And I listened to their prayers, brothers and sisters, and it, it came from their bowels. I mean, and they just articulated the vision and mission so powerfully. So I was like, okay. These are definitely our peeps <laughs> in Northern Ireland. And so from there, they actually invited me to come. And we worked it out. We went uh, at the end of March and through much of the month of April. And it was phenomenal, brothers and sisters. I mean, the doors just swung wide open. The pastors and the churches were incredibly receptive. Um, and I, I was booked. I mean, from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, I was either doing public ministry or just meeting privately with pastors and movers and shakers uh, in the land, magistrates. It was just incredible. I had, I had pastors trying to hunt me down and finding me in homes. It was so weird. Like, I, usually people don't want anything to do with me because they know what I represent. But what was interesting, their hearts were hungry. They, they wanted what we were bringing to the table. And I was like kind of pinching myself. I was like, you sure you got the right guy here? Uh, but anyway, incredible favor, like incredible. I, 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 I was never, in 40 years of ministry, I was never treated uh, the way I was treated uh, in Northern Ireland. It was, honestly, it was a shock to my soul. Well, anyway, the pro boards from America find out, uh-oh, Rusty Thomas is over in Northern Ireland, 
and so they went to work to try to sabotage uh, my effectiveness over there. So they, you know, they do what they do. They piece together different messages, sliced and dice it to, you know, make me look like I was a white Nazi uh, insurrectionist that hated women and, and really presenting me as a serious threat and danger to Northern Ireland. And unfortunately, a lot of the journalists, newspapers, and talk shows picked up this propaganda piece from the pro-aborts. And boy, so like for two weeks, we were under the radar. We were blowing and going and flowing, and it was just powerful. And then, of course, the proverbial crap hit the fan. And, uh, and so you coupled that. I also got invited to do a political rally, and there was thousands of people gathered there. And um, I was asked by one of the organizers uh, to march in the parade, and they put me actually with the political leaders of Northern Ireland and of England. And from what I found out, that doesn't even happen for those who are local, let alone a foreigner. So I, I, like, they just, like, seriously honored me. And, you know, who the heck am I? I'm just some guy from Texas. You know what I mean? And I'm marching with the political leaders. And, and so we get to the, uh, the stage where they're going to hold the rally. And I was asked just simply uh, to say a prayer. I just gave a little bit of a comment. I said a prayer. It was two minutes and 40 seconds long. And you might as well thought that I had thrown a nuclear bomb into that, <laughs> into that political rally. So between that prayer and the poor boards doing their demonic stuff, boy, it erupted. And we were like front page news for like six or seven days. Um, the talk shows all picked it up. Who is Pastor Rusty Thomas, and why, why is he speaking into the political realm, and all this kind of stuff? And so, anyway, uh, it got so intense that the pro-aborts in Northern Ireland, who helped fuel the fire, they literally contacted the Prime Minister of England to try to get England to kick me out of Northern Ireland, or Northern Ireland, and forbid me from ever coming back. Well. We survived all that. We finished out strong. Uh, but clearly, a powerful relationship was established on my first trip there to Northern Ireland. And so I was invited back. And, um, oh, before I talk about the second trip, I, I do need to mention this because um, obviously it was the feminists over in Northern Ireland that were very concerned and very upset that I was igniting the church to rise up to abolish abortion. And so, again, you know, they came out with the long knives, and they, you know, again, they just put me in the worst possible light. And if I ever did an interview with these talk shows, the way they presented me, I hated me. I didn't even like me, you know what I mean? I um. I wrote a response, a press statement, 
and my lovely bride Kendra helped me. She's a she's such a great writer. She takes my chicken scratch and she makes it so much better. Thanks to be a God for a good wife. So, but anyway, we put out this uh, press conference because they were basically like wanting me to apologize or something, some weird stuff. And so, this was my response. And it's really important because what happened over Northern Ireland during that time just didn't impact Northern Ireland and England. It really even impacted America. Uh, even amongst uh, the church and the pro-life movement here. And so apparently um, we came in contact with the prince and power, principality and power of Jezebel. I mean, Jezebel just like screeched and screamed by my presence over in Northern Ireland. So this was my response. The Lord Jesus Christ taught that we would know something by the fruit it produced. And you can find that in Matthew 7, 16. So what is the insidious fruit of feminism? And here's what I stated. Feminism has produced the breakdown of the God-ordained institution of family, which is the building block of a healthy, sound society. It has confused and reversed the roles of men and women. This has caused massive sexual confusion amongst our young to the point some in society no longer know the difference between a boy or a girl. I mean, this is massive chaos that's been unleashed. It has emboldened sexual immorality and perversion. So society in most nations parade their sin like Sodom. And finally, it has promoted abortion, child sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood. Now, in light of this, I have been criticized for saying feminism's fruit is evil and brings a curse upon men and nations. And you can find that curse in Isaiah 3.12, by the way. And so the, the deal was they wanted me to apologize. And my response is, nope, I'm not going to apologize. As a minister of the gospel of the kingdom, I do not apologize for standing against this evil. And it's my duty to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. You can find that in Ephesians 5.11. As a Christian man, I do not apologize for fulfilling my divine responsibility, which is to love, protect, provide, and care for women and children. And as a Christian, I don't apologize for inspiring men with the call to return to biblical manhood. And by the way, brothers and sisters, if you see what the Spirit of God is doing in the earth today, Everywhere I go, everywhere I turn, I don't care if it's a video, an article, a book, but clearly the Spirit of God is calling men to repent and to step into their God-ordained role to get their lives, their families in divine order. It's everywhere. Everywhere I turn, it's happening. 
And so, you know, where the Lord's at work, we need to join him. Amen. And so for the record, I also stated, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's still the power of God unto salvation. And that's Romans 1.16. Then I talk a little bit about history. In history, the evil queen Jezebel sacrificed children to Moloch and Baal and ruled over her weak, inept, and wicked husband, Ahab. Her reign was a reign of bloody terror. I do not apologize for opposing that bloody reign of terror today. But there are a few things I do apologize for. I apologize for the Ahabs that will not stop child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. I apologize for the cowards who hide behind the bloody skirts of feminism and snivel pro-choice slogans. Finally, I don't apologize for calling out the Elijahs in the men of Northern Ireland, those who have not bowed the knee to feminism. Men of Northern Ireland, break the yoke of Jezebel. Protect your wives and children. Empower the church to obey her Lord and set your nation free from these abominations in Jesus' name. Well, as you might imagine, they did not receive that press statement anon with joy. And the screech became even louder. But praise be to God, I got invited back. And uh, I just returned. I was over there for two weeks. And the door opened to preach in several churches. Um, there was a pastor's meeting, a ladies' meeting, a youth rally, private meetings with different movers and shakers, and a three-session men's conference. And what's happening, brothers and sisters, the pastors are getting on board with the vision to abolish abortion in their countries. Of course, when it came to the ladies, I challenged them to return to authentic biblical femininity, to be godly wives and mothers. And uh, the youth rally, I, I, it was kind of special because I collaborated with my son, Jeremiah, who's in heaven. And, uh, you know, it's been four years since he passed, and I was getting ready to minister, and they had his picture up there. And, and I thought... You know, you know, I'm over it. You know, I'm, I'm good. Well, <laughs> I wasn't. I saw him, and man, my heart got plowed again. And so here I am trying to hold it together and, you know, minister his testimony and to use it to call the youth uh, to rise up and follow Jeremiah's example. It was very powerful. Uh, the youth were, were greatly moved. Uh, at least two-thirds answered the call, uh, the charge to rise up and begin to fight this battle for their nation. And, uh, and, and even some of the adults said in all their life of serving the Lord, they never saw that kind of response from young people anywhere at any church. So apparently God did a, a great thing. And, and so I also, uh, from the men's conference, uh, I got this word from, from a pastor 
and he was clearly uh, moved, uh, not only in the pastor's meeting, but in the men's conference. So he just recently wrote this to me. He said, hello, Pastor Rusty. Really appreciate you coming to North Ireland and pouring out your heart to impact our church and nation. I was really impacted by the Biblical Manhood Conference. And also, brothers and sisters, on this website, Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas, we will have a link if you want to um, invite me to come to do a youth rally or a men's conference or to train your church on the biblical strategies to abolish abortion, there is a form you can fill out and we will work with you to set up dates where we can come and impact your families, your churches, and your cities uh, with these ministries. But anyway, this pastor was impacted by this conference. This is, <laughs> this is how he responded. He said, I got up on Sunday morning. He's a pastor. He said, I got up on Sunday morning feeling like a horse that had just been shot. <laughs> so apparently he got a dose of manhood. <laughs> just, he, 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 yeah, he was fired up. And uh, he said, uh, here, this was also very telling too. He said, many of these issues are the big elephant in the room that most pastors are ignoring but are big issues to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this pastor and other pastors and men, the penny did drop. I wish you could have heard the prayer of one of the pastors after I, after I got done doing the three sessions. It would have busted you up. You would have been weeping. I mean, such a cry of manhood came from this pastor's heart. It was so powerful. And he says, God bless you and your family as you go forward in the Lord. He goes, I believe we will meet again. And I do. I also too. I, I believe we will meet again. So, brothers and sisters, that's sort of the update on Northern Ireland, and it looks like, um, God willing, uh, they want me to stay with them for the foreseeable future. They want me to come in at least twice a year. So I, uh, you know, covet your prayers on this, brothers and sisters, because God is doing something, and if He be pleased to use our work and our effort to see Northern Ireland liberated from abortion and sodomy and tyranny, uh, boy, that's a, that breakthrough could have impact, a ripple effect, uh, prayerfully that would touch other nations. So this is where the Lord has us right now, and we are going to be pursuing it as God gives us the ability to do so. So the last thing I want to share and this is very personal to me. I'm going to take a little drink here. While I was in Northern Ireland, I get word. My, my communications were very sketchy over there. But I did get word that some precious brothers and sisters that I love dearly, that I have worked with, fought many battles with, they were rounded up by the FBI. And um, some, you know, turned themselves in with no incident. Others, however, the FBI came to their homes with their guns drawn and, like, stormed the home. And um, 
it had a profound impact upon the wife and the children. They were seriously traumatized by this. And their husband and dad, you know, hauled away and, and really no explanation of what's going on. And so I'm finding all this out while I'm in Northern Ireland. Of course, my heart, my prayers are going out to the brethren. Um, and then I found out another dear friend of mine, Pastor Bill Dunphy, he's a pastor in Ohio. He also got rounded up by the FBI. Uh, now, his is a different case. He's, he's not being charged with uh, FACE, which is Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances, because some of the brethren, they got charged with FACE, trying to rescue those unjustly sentenced to death. And some of the 11 also got charged with conspiracy, which brings even greater penalties upon their life. But with Pastor Bill Dunphy, he got rounded up for preaching on the Capitol steps on January 6th. Now, what's so interesting about that, brothers and sisters, two things. Number one, even when I was over in Northern Ireland, uh, the first time the powers that be were trying to connect me to the so-called insurrection in January 6th. In fact, I got contacted by ABC National News and they were saying they they got word that I was one of the ringleaders that like I actually organized helped organize this, which is insane. I wasn't even there, but this is the insanity, the craziness, that like the the enemies of the Lord. They're trying to use this January sixth so-called insurrection to co-opt the federal beast to go after their political enemies. Well, Pastor Bill, he's just preaching. The irony of it all, he's preaching and warning this nation about government tyranny. And nothing like the FBI to show up at his door to prove the point. But he is facing possibly 50 years in jail for just preaching. He didn't enter the building. And, and understand this, even the 11, all right, the rescue... What was what did they actually do? They prayed. They sang hymns to the Lord. Yes, they did interpose. They put their bodies between the victim, the preborn child, and the abortionist to save their lives. But they didn't harm anybody. They didn't burn down buildings. They didn't destroy public property property. They didn't murder anybody. They just peaceably worship the Lord to rescue children. And now they're facing between 10 and 11 years in federal prison. I mean, the, the, it's, it's like we're living in a twilight zone. It, it really, really is. You, you have a nation where the law enforcement stands down when people are being murdered, their, their property is being destroyed by the anarchists in our nation. And nobody's held to account. Nobody is charged with crimes. And yet Christians 
who are doing the job of law enforcement by saving the lives of these kids, they're going to face these draconian penalties? This is insane, brothers and sisters. And so I do want you to know that I've been asked, and I, I got to be uh, a little cautious here. I can't name names, but I've been asked to sort of step in to kind of pastor uh, the 11 families and to help them through this trying time. It was already in my heart when I returned. I was already starting the process because this, this is what you need to know about this particular, these cases. Like with Operation Rescue, OSA, when we led the charge, um, typically we did it as a group. And that meant it, it was easier to get the prayer support, the legal representation, and the funding necessary to deliver us from the hands of the federal beast. And I've been through this a few times. I've walked through that valley and very much aware of what these 11 are, gonna, are going through. And so the challenge here is the government is isolating them. They're forcing them to have separate cases. And that's the purpose for the conspiracy charges. And so the strategy is separate, divide, and conquer. And my purpose in entering the fray is to try to cohese the 12 together, and I mean 11 together, and I have to be very careful how I do that. But I, I will be contacting them. I will be finding out what they're going through, what their immediate needs are, what they are facing, and I am pledging to help them as much as I can negotiate through this trying time. And so, brothers and sisters, I do want to remind you of the scriptures in that regard. And this is Hebrews 13.3. Scripture says, Remember the prisoners. Right now, they're the Lord's free men, but they can become the Lord's prisoner. And by the way, there is one brother, Chet Gallagher, who used to be my assistant director. He is still held captive, and he's in federal custody. And he has a, a separate uh, situation that is much more complex than the other defendants. And again, we're going to work through that to get the help that he needs. But he says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated. To say these people are being mistreated is the understatement of the world. It is unbelievable because here's the thing you must understand. They are not the criminals. The federal government, they are the criminals. These Christians are not the lawbreaker. The federal government is the lawbreaker. All they're doing is upholding the law. And I got news for these federal tyrants. Understand this. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he has a rod in his hand. You've crossed another line and you are messing with the wrong people. These are God's people fulfilling his will, living out the Christian ethic of no greater love, obeying the scriptures, rescue those 
unjustly sentenced to death. Obeying the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. Obeying the scriptures, speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. It is these people, the Bible says, that are being mistreated. And then he concludes, since you yourselves are in the body also. So brothers and sisters, uh, pray for me. We got a lot to negotiate through. We got to get these folks uh, prayer support. We got to make sure they get good legal representation. And God knows how much this is going to cost uh, to get the defense they need. So brothers and sisters, I pray your heart goes out to them like mine. If I could right now, I would go to each one. I would hold them. I would hug them. I would pray over them. I would weep with them and be there for them. Um, I can't do it in body yet, but I'm working on it. And I pray you join me to come alongside to be a paraclete to these precious saints who God is mightily using. Understand that too. Yeah, it's it's scary, it's dangerous. They're being threatened. But man, the doors that have opened to them, they, they've been on Tucker Carlson, Glenn Beck, all kinds of incredible media platforms. The, the Biden administration, his tyranny is being exposed as he's weaponizing the federal agencies that go after his political opponents. The gospel of the kingdom is going forth. And we just pray, you know, God is glorified. The tyrants come crashing down, that the prisoners are set free. And most of all, that this Holocaust in America will come to an end in Jesus' name. So, brothers and sisters, that is episode five. And I pray this was a blessing to you that it encourages you and inspires you. Uh, probably the next two episodes, God willing, we're going to deal with Thanksgiving. It, November's coming. It's on the way. And for our family, Thanksgiving to Christmas, that is the best time of the year. And so we're going to take the, new, the next two episodes. We're going to talk a little bit about the pilgrims, about Squanto, and even about our history book. The Plymouth Plantation. So I pray that that's going to be something that you can use uh, as you gather as a family to give thanksgiving to Almighty God. Amen. Well, God bless you, saints. You keep pressing on to that high calling prize in Jesus' name. This is Rusty Thomas with Kingdom Moments signing off. Till next time. Mm -hmm.